Amen. You may be seated. Good morning and Merry Christmas from me and my family to you. We have made it to a special day in our calendar year where we celebrate the coming of God in the flesh. I want you to know that it is a privilege every Sunday to stand in a pulpit and open the Word of God and preach to you. But this morning is extra special. It's not every day that Christmas is on Sunday. And this morning we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week while simultaneously celebrating the birth of Christ, the moment when God took on flesh and dwelt among us. So I want you to know that this morning's message is my gift to you, my church family. I've labored over this message with love for you. I've thought of you and prayed for you often in the last couple of days. This one didn't come to me weeks ago. This one was one worked on later in this week. But it's my gift to you, my church family, and in so doing, it's also my gift to Jesus Christ, my God. This sermon is a gift to you and to him. Would you please turn with me to a non-traditional Christmas morning sermon text of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, we'll go to the end of the book, end of the New Testament, to talk about the beginning of the New Testament. As you turn there, we just sang a tremendous Christmas hymn. What child is this? This is the most important question that a person can ask, and it's the most important question that we can gain an answer from. We have to get the answer to this question right. If we get it right, we are reconciled to God. And we have eternal life with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. If we get the answer wrong to that question, eternal wrath is what would be for us. And separation from God from all of eternity is not something that we would dare want to utter on our lips for the history of eternity. So this morning we're going to answer this question in a non-traditional way. What child is this. It's a diverse, it's a single question with diverse answers. He's either the son of God or he's not. And the outcome of that answer is paramount to eternity. I want you to consider with me this morning who it is that we celebrate. He is Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of man. He is Jesus Christ, and He is the most excellent one that ever was. He is Jesus Christ, and He's also the most diverse one that ever was. And this morning, I want you to look into the Scriptures with me and see His excellence in His diversity, because it's extreme, but He's excellent in all things. Let me give you a flavor of this. If you lift out of the Bible and look at it from 35,000 feet instead of right here microscopically, here's what you will find depicted in the Scriptures about Jesus Christ, this child that we've just asked, who is He? Number one, you will see from the Bible that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But you will also see from our Bible that He is the suffering servant. How can He be both? And how can he be both and most excellent in both? He can because he's God. He is the son of God. Yet scripture also tells us that he's the son of man. How can you be both deity and humanity? Well, only Jesus Christ can do so. He is the alpha 
And he is the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Only Jesus Christ can be those two things simultaneously. He is perfectly sovereign and he is perfectly submissive. Only Jesus Christ can be sovereign and rule and reign and have dominion over everything. And only Jesus Christ can submit to the Father in perfect, humble submission. No one else can do those two things with excellence. In Christ there is infinite justice and infinite mercy and grace. Justice comes through Him. He is the judge of all. But he is merciful to all who would bow to him and call him Lord and believe that he came to die and rise again in their place. He is a wrathful judge. Boy, we see that throughout the Old Testament and we see that in Revelation chapter 19. He's the wrathful judge. But he's also the loving bridegroom. Because when he comes again a second time, he comes to gather his bride, the church. And she rejoices at his coming. Those who don't love him, though, see his wrath and the judgment that he brings, treading the winepress with the fury. In him is perfect majesty. He's royal. Like I said, he's king of kings. But also in him is perfect, perfect, pure humility. Humility like no human being has ever demonstrated. Last, we could go on and on. We sat around this morning in our family devotion before we opened gifts. And we talked about all the diversities and excellencies of Jesus Christ. I won't share all those with with them, but I would challenge you this afternoon to think of other ways in Scripture that He is excellent and diverse. But here's the last one that I give you this morning, and we'll spend a little time on this one. He is also depicted in Scripture in many places, but right here in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 5, as a lion... And a lamb. Two most extreme, diverse, opposite characters. A lion and a lamb. Read with me Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. This is the Apostle John writing as he's looking for someone that can open this scroll. He's weeping over no one being able to be worthy to open the scroll. And in verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John writes in verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Here in that short scripture is Jesus Christ fully Revealed as an excellent lion. And here is Jesus Christ, the child that we celebrate's birth today, as an excellent and perfect lamb who has been slain. What diversity, and yet what excellence. And I want you to know this morning, I've listed these, the king of kings and the suffering servant, the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. In all of these, he is perfect in each. But each of these, he is simultaneously, without ceasing. In the same moment that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is also in that same moment the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the moment that he is king of kings and lord of lords, he is also forever the suffering servant, 
So he is excellent in all of these, and he is all of these simultaneously, and he never ceases being any one of these. He is God. Let's look at this. John tells us that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who was slain. Well, this language comes from other verses in Scripture. This is not the first time that we're introduced to Jesus being the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. The lion of Judah is found in Genesis 49 when Jacob is about to die and he brings all of his sons before him and he pronounces blessings upon them. When he gets to Judah, listen to this blessing that he pronounces. Genesis 49, verse 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and his name is Jesus Christ. As it relates to this Lamb of God, you know that verse well. John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus Christ coming to him for the first time, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so there we have from Scripture prior to John's vision in Revelation, the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah. The Lion excels in strength and dominion. Just picture the Lion. But Jesus Christ is also the Lamb of God. And the Lamb excels in meekness and humility. As a lion, Jesus Christ is dangerous. He's regal. He's full of majesty. He is the King of kings. But as the Lamb, Jesus Christ is vulnerable and frail in His simplicity and appearance. He's the Lamb of God. As the Lion of Judah, Jesus broke the neck of his enemy and our adversary, the devil. In fact, John says in 1 John, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He's the Lion of Judah, and he accomplished that. But as the Lamb of God, Jesus is also a suitable sacrifice offered to God the Father. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Wow. He is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. Simultaneously and to perfection. This morning, I want to lead you to see the diverse excellency of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take you through three phases of his life. The first phase will be the excellence that he demonstrated in creation and becoming incarnate. The second, I want to show you his excellence in his life on earth. And thirdly, I want to show you his excellence in his death and resurrection. So we'll look at those three very briefly, very quickly. Stay with me. We'll go rapidly. I first want you to look at his diverse excellence in creation. John chapter 1. 
1 through 3 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That Word that created everything, and without which nothing was made, took on flesh. He became a person, and His name is Jesus Christ, and He is the child that we sang the question about. The Word made all things. Jesus Christ, God the Son, made all things. And then the Word took on the flesh that He created and became what He made. Because He was never made. He has no beginning. Everything that does exist had a beginning and He is the source of it. But He has no beginning. And yet He stepped down and became what He created. He took on flesh. Philippians 2.7, the Apostle Paul tells us that in doing so, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. Boy, that verse harkens back to Genesis. God made man in his own image and likeness. We had to be image bearers so that when Christ took on flesh, he had something to receive his deity. Something made in his image and likeness. Something that would be somewhat like home to him. And so Christ, he took on the flesh that was made in his likeness. And he made it God, the flesh that he occupied. He made it more than the likeness of God. He made it God in the flesh. Jonathan Edwards, great theologian from the 1700s, about this topic said, for the creator to make the creature was a great thing. But for him to become a creature was a greater thing. It's amazing that God would step down and take on flesh and be like us. It's amazing. And it's worth celebrating every year at this time. Secondly, within this considering his excellence in creation and incarnation, I want you to look at the diverse excellence that surrounds the, the issues of his incarnation. In, in uh, Philippians 2, 6 and 7, we read this. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant born in the likeness of men. It's diverse what happened in the manger. He is God. He is in the form of God. He is equal to God. But he didn't count that something to be grasped and held on to. He let go of that. He emptied himself of that privilege and that right. And he took on the form of a servant. And he was found in human form. The form that had wronged God and sinned against him and disobeyed his commands. So in this incarnation, in this moment when the Word became flesh, He is fully God, but He doesn't hold on to that, and He adds to Himself humanity so that He might live the life that we were unable to live from the days of Adam. He's the second Adam that we sang of just a moment ago. 
So he is perfectly sovereign in that he's the form of God and equal to God, but he is perfect in submission in that he emptied himself and took on flesh. Second thing this morning that we need to look at, I want you to see his excellence and his diversity during his life on earth. He came to us in excellent ways and diverse ways, but he lived among us in excellent ways, in diverse ways. Luke chapter 1, we get this narrative where Mary is confronted by an angel, and this angel tells Mary about the one that she is going to conceive. And here's what it says. Mary says to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God. So he's born of a fallen woman, a fallen human being, a woman who has committed sins against God. He is even born of a woman who is impoverished. If you look at the offering that she brings when she dedicates her son in the temple eight days after he's born, you will understand that this is a poor peasant woman. And this is God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is born of such a woman. He is the son of man right there in excellence. But also this angel says, you will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, brought about the conception of Jesus Christ in overshadowing Mary. So he is the son of man in that he comes from Mary, the virgin. But he's son of God because he comes from the Holy Spirit. He's fully both God and man, to perfection, in excellence, without ceasing to be either one at any moment, at any time. That's the child that we celebrate the birth of this morning. I want you to consider his diverse excellence in the circumstances around his birth. Real quickly, Christ, being equal to God, sat at God's right hand. It's where he returned to, but he stepped down out of heaven into time from the right hand of God, And in so doing, he took on flesh, and he was born in a manger, in a stable, in a dirty old little town called Bethlehem. It's amazing the diverse circumstances around the existence of God, pre-incarnate and incarnate. Look at the diverse excellencies in the circumstances around his life. I'll come back to this concept of lion and lamb. Jesus Christ was a lamb as he laid in that manger, in that stable. Helpless, dependent, needy. He was a lamb as Herod tried to slaughter him along with all the two-year-old and younger babies in Bethlehem at that time. He was a lamb as he fled into Egypt. He was a lamb as he depended on a mother for nutrition, human nutrition and sustenance to exist. He was a lamb as he was pursued, yes, by Herod and ultimately by all those Pharisees. He was a lamb as he was questioned, even by his disciples. He was a lamb as he was doubted, for sure, by those that he selected to be his followers. But he was a lion at the same time. He was a lion as he performed miracles. He was a lion as he healed disease. And blindness and lameness. He was a lion as he cast out demons from people. If you remember the the demoniac that had legion 
possessing him. He was a lion in that moment when he sent those demons into that herd of pigs and they ran off into the sea. He was a lion as he preached and as he taught. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he is a lion on that hillside. He is a lion when he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. But he was a lion when he said, but I say to you now. He was a lion as he proclaimed parables to those that had gathered around him. You remember the parable of the wicked tenants. The owner of the vineyard sent his manager back to the vineyard and they abused and beat and punished and throttled that manager. And so finally the owner of the vineyard sent his son back to the vineyard. And what did they do? They killed him. It's a parable about Jesus Christ. He was a lion as he told that parable. And the Pharisees, the audience that he spoke that parable to, they, <clears throat> they knew that he was a lion in that moment. They knew that that parable was about them. And they hated him for it. And so he was a lamb in their eyes that needed to be slaughtered. I could go on and on and on. He was a lamb in the garden of Gethsemane praying, Father, if this cup can be removed from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. But he is a lion when they came to arrest him. And he said, you could have had me whenever you wanted me. When I was in the temple, you could have had me. And now you come to me with soldiers and swords. Come get me. Who are you looking for? We're looking for the Christ. I am, he said. I am. The words of a lion and the words of a lamb. Thirdly, this morning, let's look at the excellence of Christ in his death and resurrection. The lion and the lamb are found in the ultimate moment on that Good Friday. They are found vividly clear simultaneously in that ultimate moment. John, 7, John 10, 17, and 18, Jesus Christ says, For this reason the Father loves me. Listen to this. He says, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. I hear a lion talking and a lamb talking right there. He goes on, no one takes it from me. What a lion's statement. But I lay it down of my own accord. What a lion and a lamb. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Wow. The lion and the lamb. Roaring and submitting at the same time for you and for me. In his death, Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. He is a lamb in that he's in the hands of enemies. Look at this. He was betrayed by one of his own. He was arrested by an army. He was led up a road to Calvary and he hung on a cross as a lamb slaughtered, sacrificed. He lived a sinless life so that he might be once and for all a perfect, suitable sacrifice. So he's a lamb without blemish. He had no flaws. He was without sin. He was even the perfect lamb because he was the firstborn. Firstborn of God the Father. Firstborn of the woman Mary. He opened her womb. So we see pictures of the Old Testament sacrificial system where there would be a lamb that would pay the price of sin for the world. He was a lamb 
when in John 19.30 he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He was a lamb. But in his death, Jesus Christ was also the Lion of Judah. As the lion, he cried out in John 19.30 from that cross, right before he gave up his spirit, he cried out, it is finished. Those are the words of a lion. What was finished? The mission was accomplished. He was sent by God to be one born under the law, Galatians. And he kept the law word for word, letter for letter. He did not come, he said, to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And so he said on that cross before he gave up his spirit like a lamb, he roared like a lion, it is finished, mission accomplished. And in that moment, he was a substitute for every human being that could not do what he did as one born under the law. He kept it to the letter. So he finished the work that God designed for man to do with Adam in the garden. Obey my commands, you will live forever. If you don't, you will surely die. Jesus is the second Adam. And he came and he did what Adam and what you and I could not do so that he would be suitable, so that he would be excellent as he died as a lamb and as he died as a lion for you and for me. He lived a sinless life, just like I said in the lambness of Jesus Christ. He was a lion in that he lived a sinless life and he died so that he might cancel the penalty for sin, which the Bible tells us is death. Just imagine the lion-like Christ living through life. One of the ones that we talked about this morning was this. He was a lion when the Holy Spirit led him like a lamb into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He was a lion in that he resisted the temptation of the prowling lion, the adversary, the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He was a lion in that he went out into that wilderness and he waged war with that lion and he conquered out there in the wilderness because he did not succumb to temptation. He was a lion as he endured trial and tribulation over and over again without sinning, without circumventing God's divine plan. He prayed, if this cup can be removed from me, please do so. But he did not remove the cup. And by not removing the cup and by taking it and drinking it, he was, yes, a lamb. But I guarantee you he was a lion as he drank the wrath of God. He was a lion when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was a lamb when he said the same. Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. Well, also, he is the lamb who was slain, but he's also the lion who lives. On the third day, you see, after that Good Friday, when he was the lion, the lamb on the cross, on that third day, that Sunday morning, he was a lion as he rose from the dead. And he defeated sin and death once and for all, for all of us that would believe in him. That was his greatest, majestic, lion-like moment. The resurrection from the dead. 
Is there any greater miracle, as miraculous as the virgin birth is, is there any greater miracle with any more significance and excellence than the resurrection of the Lion of Judah for God's people? In so doing, he defeated sin and death. He defeated the works of the devil, as John said, once and for all. And I want you to know that right this minute, Jesus Christ is functioning fully at the right hand of God the Father as a lion and as a lamb. Hebrews tells us that he's sitting at the right hand of God and he lives to make intercession for us. He prays for us. The fact that he is praying for us that believe in him, he's being a a lamb in one sense, and that he's caring for us and gentle and meek before the Lord and saying, look at me, God, I was the sacrifice for them. Protect them and deliver them. But as he makes intercession also, he's waging war as a lion because he knows that there is a prowling adversary in this world that seeks to devour us. And he prays for us just like he prayed for Peter. Remember that? Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but I have prayed for you. And when you come back to your senses, you go encourage your brothers. That's what he's doing for us, even this moment, as the lion and the lamb at the right hand of God the Father. There's going to be a day when he will come again. And how will he come on that day? He will come as a lion and a lamb. He will come with the wrathfulness of a righteous judge, And he will come with the love of a loving bridegroom. But he will be a lion to those that don't believe in him. Revelation tells us that he will come with a sword coming out of his mouth. He will trample the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And his robe will be dipped in blood. That's a lion. But he will also come as a lamb saying, I've died for you, dear church, my bride. Come to the wedding feast. Because I have paved the way for you to live with me for all eternity. I was your Lion of Judah and your Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then for all of eternity, we read in Revelation 5 that he will be a Lamb. John finishes by saying, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever and ever so what child is this that we celebrate today He is Jesus Christ, King of kings, suffering servant, the wrathful judge, the loving bridegroom, the one perfect in sovereignty, the one perfect in submission, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lion and the Lamb. Though very different, He is excellent in all. So I close by telling you this morning that our Christian faith follows this same line of diverse excellence. It's what our faith is built upon, and it's how we even practice our faith. We celebrate a birth this morning, Christmas. We celebrate a birth, but we only celebrate it because of a death. Do you understand that? 
If there's no death, we don't celebrate Christmas. We celebrate a death on Good Friday, but we only celebrate that death because there was a resurrection on Sunday. It's diverse. We're happy in birth because we're happy in death. We're happy in death only because we're happy in a resurrection. Wow. So we celebrate the Lamb of God born in a manger, born in a stable, born in Bethlehem because he died on a cross. He died on a hill. He died in Jerusalem and he rose again as the Lion of Judah. So this morning, the question is, do you know this lion? Do you worship this lamb? You must. You must today and forevermore. So worship him this Christmas morning in all his diverse excellence. Merry Christmas, church. I do love you in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray together as a church family and extended family this morning, thanking you for the truth that we have just heard from your word. Jesus, we pray to you this morning, this truth from the scriptures in Colossians. You are the image of the invisible God. You are the firstborn of all creation. For by you are all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through you and for you. You are before all things, Christ Jesus, and in you all things hold together. And you are the head of the body, the church. You are the beginning you are the firstborn from the dead, that in everything you might be preeminent. For in you all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through you to reconcile to yourself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of your cross. This is the truth of who you are and what you did, Jesus Christ. And this morning, all of us have gathered here to say to you, thank you. You're a good God. You're the line of Judah. You're the Lamb of God. And we adore you. And I pray this for the glory of your renown. Amen.